Well, <clears throat> I suppose it's part and parcel of reaching this age, meeting people of character, of, of enormous worth, that gradually you, they begin to, to pass. I'm recording this because it's not very long after the news of the passing of Walter Smith has reached me here in Barcelona. The very first thing to say is that it's, it's impacted me so much. It's made me hugely, hugely sad, which is partly why you hear cheerful, uplifting music in the background, because there are certain people when they, when they go, the impact still surprises me, still hurts. I suppose that's what people would consider normal, but I still try to armor plate myself, inure myself against the, the way that life can sling you curveballs. And yet, when somebody who I respected, somebody who I liked, but also somebody who, for whatever strange reason, treated me well, seemed to find things about me to like, when people like that go, the sense of loss obviously is greater. I feel a little bit curtailed or concerned because we do live in an age where social media can make it look like people not use but take grief in a different way than I think it was meant when it was given to us as part of the human condition. And quite often I, I can see people of cultural importance or profile passing on and, and accept that it's just part of the normal tempo of life. But in this instance, I wanted to talk about Walter because he very actively impacted on both my career and my life in ways that he didn't have to. I don't honestly remember the first time that I met Walter, but I was aware, just like sometimes when you're aware at school, when a teacher against the background of teachers being bored of your impishness or other pupils thinking you're a, a git or whatever it might be, a teacher will suddenly go, they'll treat you differently as if you're um, interesting or as if they find your, your, your full, of, full of majiggery amusing. I don't know what, but suddenly you can go, oh, there seems to be some sort of mutual bond here. And Walter was only a little bit older than me. I don't know what it is. He's 13 years, 14 years older than me. That's not much. But when I was a younger journalist in, in the Scottish media, the, I became aware that in press conferences at Ibrox, they weren't then held at um, Murray Park. I don't think, in fact, Murray Park wouldn't have existed. But Walter would... would Gently, <laughs> gently chide me in various different ways, but indulgent ways. So he'd already been a guy who, who'd impacted on me in the worst possible sporting way in that while Aberdeen were still competitive for titles, it was his Rangers that keep giving, kept giving us bloody noses, particularly on that last day of the season at Ibrox. So I should really have held a grudge. I should have been grumpy at him. And he should have seen this Aberdonian coming down as somebody to be put in his place. But instead, he used to, if you, if you asked a question, you got more than you bargained for. You got a little bit of wit or you got a little bit of piss taking. And then it graduated into before when we all sat. And listen, there are 
dozens and dozens of journalists across Walter's time, either with United, Dundee United or Rangers or Manchester United or Everton or Scotland, wherever he's worked, that will tell you the same thing. So I'm not different or special in that way, but this is my story about him. There was one, there was one time, for example, whereby I used to wear um, a nice sort of um, pinstripe three-piece suit. It was a decent um, dark charcoal colour with a slight um, pin going through it. A typical Italian and loafers, as ever, that I've been wearing now for... 40 years, and people rightly take the piss out of me for it because I never change. But in those days, I decided that it would be it would be just right for me to have a very gentle yellow sock on. <laughs> Walter came into the press conference one day, it would have been, I, I don't know, when, 94, 95? Grim, what, what is that? What is that? Brian Ferry, in 1972, might have got away with that. And I fucking say, might have got away with that. What, what, what colour are those? And so it went. To be harking back to the old days might seem a little bit hackneyed. But I miss those days when um, managers and journalists could have what was a different kind of banter, where there was sufficient mutual respect that if you'd crossed the line, if, the, if a manager was angry about it, you expected to hear about it in industrial terms, you expected to have a reckoning, you, you didn't expect to have snide communiques from a comms department or whatever. The manager and the journalist sorted it out, for good or bad, or, or, or didn't, but did it nose to nose. But also beyond that, there were times when managers would take you into their office after a game, a group of five or six, offer you a whiskey, and you could talk about the game or talk about just bullshit or, or talk about each other. And you could build a relationship. You could The manager could see the, the whites of your eyes and judge whether he liked you or didn't. And one of the things that began to emerge, even in our most um, robust time, was that for some mad reason, and against prevailing advice, because there were times when I moved to the Scottish Daily Mail and moved away from column writing or match writing at the Sunday Times into full-time football reporting, where, where people that Walter had known all his playing life, journalists who were establishment journalists who felt they ruled the roost, did personal things that tried to curtail my career. And certainly told him don't not to treat not to treat me with openness, not to trust me, and he just fuck, he just decided that he'd make his own fucking mind up, to, which is to my benefit. Now he could have decided to make his own mind up, and, and and found he had exactly the same opinion. And as those journalists who I'm talking about, most of whom now are dead, but he didn't. And one of the testing points for that came when. I know I go on about it a lot, but imagine the impact on me in in early early ninety five, I think, when Rangers are beaten by Juventus, I get sent to Juventus for a three day study trip, and I get access to the club and their training sessions and interviews and so on and so forth. And I come back, and of course, there's 
there's six pages worth of copy. There's three days of, of spreads. That's your six pages. Plus a couple of news stories. And one of them, for whatever reason, I took the view that Juventus were training far, far harder than Rangers were. That the intensity was different. That the, the daily work ethic was tighter. And that alcohol was something that, although clearly it proved that the Wednesday afternoon bevy sessions for Rangers was a glue for them, at the time it made them a fighting unit, there's no question that it had positive effects that made that group dominant under Walter. But it also, I think, over the piece, cost them the possibility of competing with the elite. Way, way, way now with retrospect, it cost one or two of them difficult times in their lives when they had to try and excise alcohol. At any rate, one of the many points I made in comparing Juventus with Rangers at the time when they were in the Champions League group together was the, the general work ethic. And it happened to be that Viali was the man who gave me a long interview. And however, whatever Walter felt about the points that I'd made, he, he, he was in the process of trying via Athol Still, Viali's British representative. He was in the process of trying to persuade Gianluca Viali to join Rangers. Now, by the end of the season, Viali would, would weigh that up and he would choose Chelsea, but not without having been hugely impressed by, by Walter Smith, not without having made significant comparisons between Walter and Marcello Lippi as, as men, as leaders of men. So at any rate, I didn't know this was going on. Viali was coming into freedom of contract. Juve were aiming at winning their, their, their first Champions League since the, the, the brutal night at, at Heysel. And my, my sermon is how Walter looked at it across pages of the, the Daily Mail was something that he took exception, <laughs> exception to. So the first Friday press conference when... Oh, he, he treated my, my questions with hostility. He waited until the press conference was over. He stormed down off the, the podium upon, from which he, he took the press conferences in the press room at Ibrox. And he took me by the scruff of the neck and I was up against the wall. And I was up against the wall with a guy letting loose all the things that he felt were unfair or all the things that he felt he knew better than me about Juventus or about Viali or whatever. He used one expression, which I, I still out of respect for both men, I won't use, but he cast aspersions about how, how, how boisterously Gianluca Viali liked to spend some of his social occasions. Let's once the anger was spent and once I was allowed to slide down off where he held me by the throat against the wall, the discussion continued. And it became about why didn't you come and talk to me a little bit about these comparisons. And it's not that it wasn't a hit piece and it wasn't something that necessarily needed Ranger's opinion back in because it, 95% of the piece was about Juventus, not about Walter Smith's Rangers. But at any rate... He found parts of it interesting enough that once he got out the anger about the way in which he felt it, it showed his regime up or was critical of his regime, he wanted to continue talking about it because his fascination for Italian football, Italian fashion, <laughs> was, was really high. Uh, 
not for nothing did he take Rangers to Choco over and over again. The impact that the, the, the Roma defeat for Dundee United in the semi-final of the European Cup when, when United were cheated. Italy was a country that made a huge impact on him. And, and I, I remember later on, he would, I mean, before I moved to England even, he, he would give you a briefing about if one of your pals in Italian football had spotted Walter scouting at, you know, the San Siro or the Delle Alpi or even in, in, in Florence. And, and remember the, the pattern that emerged of, of Walter believing that you got good horse flesh, irrespective of the nationality of football you were signing, you got good horse flesh in Serie A. And so sometimes people that I knew, and, and this must apply to other journalists, would phone and say, Walter Smith was at this game. The club have told us this. You would phone him and generally he would, he would take the call or call you back and describe the player he'd been t- to look at. And there was one absolutely crazy one where Milan were playing Juventus, I think. Reitziger was a player that, that Walter was taking a look at. I think Milan got a, a pasting by six. And Walter described a moment whereby there was a 50-50 ball and Reisiker was just making a move towards it. And the roar of anger from his own fans at, at, at him having had a bad night and, and they're, they're upset with the way in which they were being slapped about, I'm sure it was by Juve, made Reisiker sort of all in one movement, running towards the ball, stop and, and run away from the ball in order to be nowhere near it because of the... the, the vituperative fury that was raining down on him from the San Siro. And Walter admitted that that was the moment in which he decided that Reitziger wasn't for Ibrox. There, there were other times, the, the first big overseas tour I did with a club was with Rangers in, in Denmark, staying in the Vie de Hoos. When Gaza had just signed, Laudrup was in the team, Gorham was in the team, Goff was in the team. And that summer tour probably merits a book to itself. But I remember a moment when it was out in the countryside, so there were, you know, restaurants and bars, but you could spend a night easily in the hotel lobby drinking and telling stories. And on one night, Walter Smith and Archie Knox did just that. Simply, I don't know, to alleviate their own boredom or to distract us from the efforts they were making to sign Oleg Salenko. But gradually, a nucleus of about... 15, 20 people sat in the hotel lobby bar that night. And Walter told story, as did Archie, two of the funniest men Scottish football has ever given, ever given birth to. Walter told story after story after story, some of which I think those that had known him longer or who were journalists who were dyed in the world, blue noses, might have heard before. But there wasn't, a millimetre, not a millionth of a millimetre of, uh, what do you call it, when you're you're laughing along with somebody to try and get in with them. This was just a crown performance of a man with a complete poker face, eyebrows that could be taken straight out of Wile E. Coyote. He looked at you with that, that sharp diamond glint in his eye, eyebrows ready to... Raise in, in in cynicism or incredulity, but his delivery, his his 
the, the delivery out of the side of his mouth with cynical, humorous punchlines to stories had people in need of incontinence pads. It was just merciless in bang, bang, humour, story, colour, change of era, description of personalities. And, and he was a guy who, even though um, he could be short or he could be terse if he was really angry, you know, he matches. He's there with Jim McLean and Fergie in terms of don't fuck with them. But he loved an audience. When the moment was right, he was brilliant with an audience. I don't mind betraying now that when I was in England and again in a situation where not far from everybody wanted me to succeed, I remember phoning him up one night from my sitting in my kitchen in Hammersmith and thinking, this story, this story is so big. Who can I, how, how can I? And the rumours were persistent that Spurs were going to sign George Graham, Gunner George. And it seems simple now because changing of allegiance is a much more common thing. But in the moment, it, it, was, it was gigantic. Nobody had nailed the story. And I thought, Walter, there's a good chance Walter knows. Walter and George and Alec speak to each other about things beyond the next match. Or there's, there's a... There's a little Scottish syndicate down there. I phoned Walter and I said, listen, I don't want to put you in a bad situation and you don't owe me this story. I think George has been talked to by this person at this time. I'm told that it's coming. I believe it's close, close, but I can't write anything until I'm sure. And Walter said something that, that, that is huge. It's, it's, it's an English expression more than a Scottish expression. But when a man of... When a man like Walter, when a giant of a man tells you this, you, you, like, you know it's right. He said, Graham, stand on me. Stand on me. George is going to sign for Spurs. Bosh. From what I'd known already, the little clues, the little tips, and Walter saying that meant that we, we led the back page. It was an era where... I think getting big stories was valued differently. It was less common that people just put an exclusive on everything. And I owed everything. None of the cleverness was me. I owed everything on that story, which mattered. It helped me. It helped me within my newspaper. It helped me within the industry. And that was Walter. 100% Walter. Stand on me. I remember lunching with him and arguing about Croatian footballers arguing vehemently to the point at which neither of us fell up, but we both kind of lost our temper a, l- a little bit. That was in San Lorenzo in London about his view that Croatian footballers weren't to be trusted enough because they would give you so-so football during the domestic seasons, but when tournaments came around, they would switch on and be absolutely exceptional, and it pissed him off. I remember one night, unbelievable night, after a Chelsea Celtic friendly pre-season where the Chelsea physio Bill Blood, Walter Smith, Steve Cutner, Frank Lampard, Martin O'Neill, Ian McGarry, myself, and at least two more pals of, of Cutner and Walter had a, had a dinner in, in Chelsea in an Indian restaurant, I think. The stories, 
the, the, the uproarious laughter. Bill Blood, the physio, telling the story of wanting to leave his part-time work with Walter at Scotland to go and to do another job. I think maybe to help out to England. The way in which Walter absolutely roasted him in good humour. But Bill Blood didn't know this. And the, the, the explosive noise and laughter. I remember Arjun Robin and his dad were sitting at a table, two tables away, and there was one burst of laughter from all of us, so explosive and loud, out of the blue, that Arjun Robin jumped in his chair and, and, and maybe thought there was a fight about to bro- break out or something. Uh, and with Walter and his love of rock and roll music and concerts, with his love of his family and his beautiful, characterful, interesting, sensational wife, Ethel, just, there's, there are, there are a million things. I'm so glad that, you know, in recent years, we managed to go to Loch Lomond and to the hotel there to sit down with Walter and Adam to the big interview, go back over things. And I just finished interviewing Luis Suarez today um, for UEFA. And, and Luis Suarez can be a character where you have to get him in the right mood. You have to be intelligent and, and sharp about how you ask him things. Because when he's on side, he's, he's got a good lexicon. He engages, he tells stories well. And it means that if things go well, you can go back to him the next time. If you don't, he's one of those who'll give you short sentences Say, look, you've had your 15 minutes, goodbye. In the end, we did 20. It had been engaging. I'd felt I'd done my side of it. I closed the computer. It was a Zoom interview. I closed the computer and a, a friend of the big interview, Robert Ryan, had sent me the message that Walter had died. And of course he'd been ill recently, but I, I suppose I kept a fond hope that because he's made of rock, solid Scottish rock, because he seemed a person of superior character, superior intelligence, superior wit. I didn't actually think he'd go on forever, but I thought he would recover and go on for a long time. So many other times, the, the, the times shared with Walter Smith and Steve Cutner and Steve's armadillos that he kept, called Archie and Walter, that, the, that his alligators, crunched and killed one night and having to tell Walter and Archie that they'd been eaten and how outraged Walter and Archie were that any any beast on this earth had been named after them hadn't been able to fight off an alligator. I could, I could go on. You'll notice I haven't talked a lot about Walter's football achievements because you know about them. They're your memories. I suppose that whether you're Dundee United or whether you're Rangers or Everton or... Or Manchester United, where I know players felt that he changed the trajectory of the season, he changed the mood of the dressing room, even with Ferguson there. Whether you're a Scotland fan who loved the France game, whatever. Those are your experiences and your memories. All I can say is I'm enormously sad. My, You often hear people talking about a heavy heart. That's exactly what I feel right now. But I thought it was worth sharing the fact that I knew Walter Smith. And he did things that changed my career, which obviously means changed my life. And I'm dreadfully sad 
that he's gone far, far too soon. And I can honestly say that it was a privilege knowing him.